Back in the 80s and 90s, there was a popular single-panel comic strip called The Far Side by Gary Larson. One cartoon featured a bunch of dinosaurs standing around looking rebellious and smoking cigarettes. The caption read, The real reason dinosaurs became extinct. I'm not going too far out on a scientific limb to say that dinosaurs never smoked, but fire almost certainly played a big part in their demise, and that fire was started by a rock from space. The rock in question hit Earth about 66 million years ago in what we now call the Gulf of Mexico near the Yucatan Peninsula in present-day Mexico. It carved up miles of ocean floor, vaporized rock and water, and many of the rocks that weren't vaporized on impact were liquefied by the powerful shock waves of the resulting explosion. I'm Mark Reapy, and this is Financial Decoder, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. It's a show about financial decisions and the cognitive and emotional biases that can cloud our judgment. If this event had only local consequences, we probably wouldn't be talking about it. But this explosion ignited everything within 900 miles. Get out a map and draw a circle with a 900-mile radius around the impact site, and the resulting circle will cover a big chunk of Mexico, along with Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, and Georgia. Now, what does this all have to do with dinosaurs? Well, many of these vaporized rocks contained sulfur, and the impact sent that sulfur into the atmosphere, creating a haze of acid that blocks sunlight. And I'm not talking about a day or a week of overcast skies. How about years of nighttime, long enough to cool the planet? And when it rained, it was an acid rain, which would also have killed plants and animals on land and in water. 75% of plant and animal species on Earth went extinct. The unwitting victims also included all dinosaur species, except for the ones who could fly, who evolved into the birds that we have today. As I mentioned, this happened 66 million years ago, but the risk of these strikes persists. In 1908, a smaller meteor exploded in the skies above Siberia and flattened 80 million trees with energy equal to about 185 Hiroshima bombs. The area was very sparsely populated, and it's unclear if any people died, but 40 miles away an eyewitness was thrown from his chair and in Asia, people could read a newspaper outside at midnight by the light in the sky. NASA takes this threat seriously enough to have created the Center for Near-Earth Object Studies. In November 2019, they launched a rocket as part of their Double Asteroid Redirection Test, or DART, the world's first full-scale mission to test technology that can defend Earth against potential asteroid or comet hazards. The rocket will slam into an asteroid called Dimorphos, in the early fall of this year. After the crash, scientists will measure the change in Dimorphos' orbit. The goal of this project is to save Earth from a collision with a large asteroid. The thinking is that the sooner they find an asteroid bound for Earth, the sooner they can do something about it. The rocket comes into play because the farther from Earth they can intercept it, the smaller the nudge needed to alter its path so that it misses Earth. In other words, the farther away the asteroid, the less force is needed to change its trajectory. If that's confusing, think about it this way. If there's some huge renegade asteroid that shows up out of the blue and will hit Earth in a few days, is it really possible to change its trajectory? Probably not. When it hits, much of life as we know it would go to the way of the dinosaurs. 
But if we had intercepted that asteroid 10 years ago, it's plausible that we could nudge it out of the way. If you're wondering what any of this has to do with retirement planning, here's the connection. Say you believe that you need a million dollars to retire comfortably, but there are 60 candles on your birthday cake and you haven't saved a dime. You've got a problem. Retirement is a big, fast asteroid speeding toward you, and the time to react is short. Let's face it, there aren't many legal activities that generate that kind of money in a short amount of time. Your golden years probably won't be as golden as you expected. Now, if that birthday cake has 25 candles on it, you're in a quite different situation. It's different because you have the time to make and implement a series of small, doable decisions that will get you to your goal. This is like the asteroid that's so far away it'll take years to reach Earth, but that's a blessing because you have time to build your strategy, implement it, and let it work its magic. I used a million dollars in my example because it's a nice round number, and I don't mean to imply that you can't have a successful retirement without reaching that kind of number. My point is that whatever your number looks like, bigger or smaller, less effort will be required to reach that number if you start early. One of the reasons people don't plan is that procrastination and present bias get in our way. I talked about procrastination and present bias in episode three from season 10 for those who want to learn more. But the short story is that we fall victim to present bias, which causes us to avoid doing work now, even if it's just putting aside a small sum every month for retirement, because the future benefits seem so small compared to the cost of missing out on something that we could gain by spending that cash now. For younger investors or parents of younger investors, the good news is that there are retirement vehicles specifically designed to create incentives for you to save. I'm talking about individual retirement accounts or IRAs. Some people call them IRAs. My guest Hayden Adams will offer some guidance on using IRAs to save for the retirement you want. Hayden is a director of tax and wealth management at the Schwab Center for Financial Research. He's also a certified financial planner and certified public accountant, and he provides analysis and insights on topics like income tax planning, tax-efficient investing, asset allocation, and retirement withdrawal strategies. Hayden, welcome to the podcast, and thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Mark. Uh, Hayden, let's start at the beginning. And for people who might not know all the details, can you explain what an IRA, some people call them IRAs, what, what are they and why do they exist? Yeah, so uh, most people know them as um, individual retirement accounts, but believe it or not, the IRS actually has a completely different name. They call them individual retirement arrangements. But in the end, it's the same acronym, IRA. So it's the same thing, just a slightly different name. The whole idea behind IRAs was Basically, Congress was trying to encourage people to save for retirement. Uh, Congress knows that, hey, yeah, we've got Social Security. We've got some um, you know, medical protections for uh, the population. But in the end, that's generally not enough money for most people to live a comfortable retirement. So the government generally groups the accounts into two main classes. First, there's the taxable account. So that's like your brokerage account or your bank account. Um, the reason they call it a taxable account is because before you can contribute to those accounts, that money becomes taxable. So like your wages get taxed, then whatever's left over after your taxes, you can put into your bank or brokerage account. The next class of accounts is tax advantaged accounts. And that's where the IRA falls. And those tax advantaged accounts are divided into basically two subcategories. The first is tax deferred retirement accounts. And those that's like your traditional IRA. So what happens is, is 
Uh, in general, you're, you're given a deduction when you make your contribution, so that reduces your tax bill. And then everything can grow tax-free. And then finally, when you pull the money out at the very end, that's when you'll eventually be taxed as ordinary income. The other account is Roth accounts. And there's two Roth accounts. There's a Roth IRA and there's a, a Roth 401k, also known as a designated Roth account. With those accounts, you don't get a deduction up front. So basically, you have to pay taxes, just like you would with the, the taxable account. You pay the taxes first, whatever's left over, then you can contribute to those accounts, the, the Roth accounts. And then uh, the assets grow tax-free. And then finally, when you pull out the money, uh, assuming you meet all the rules and requirements, you can pull that money out uh, tax-free when you're in retirement. Aiden, you mentioned Roth accounts and you know what we're calling traditional accounts or traditional IRA accounts. The standard advice is that younger investors, they should be opening a Roth because their tax rates are low now and, they'll, and those tax rates will probably rise over time. What, what do you think about that advice? So for a younger investor, does it make sense to assume that one's tax rate is going to be higher as they advance in their careers? Generally, yes. Uh, over a person's career, their earnings tends to go up over time. And that's kind of logical. I mean, you look at somebody who just graduates from uh, college and it's like they're probably their first job. Um, their, their wages are going to be lower as they progress through their career. Um, their income starts to go up and up, hopefully. And then finally, when they uh, reach their late 50s, maybe early 60s, generally speaking, that's when somebody reaches their highest income earning potential. So um, overall, when it comes to making contributions to retirement accounts, it tends to make a lot of sense for people to focus on a Roth account when their income is lower, because when your income is lower, your tax bracket is going to be lower. As your income increases over time, then it may make more sense later on to use a tax deferred account. Uh, the focus of this episode, uh, as we mentioned, is on younger investors. But let's assume that we've got some older listeners out there. Uh, can a Roth uh, still make sense for them, even though they don't get that upfront tax deduction? Yeah, definitely. Because when it comes to this whole decision as to which account to contribute to, the hard part is, is you know, for some of us, we might be looking 20, 30 years into the future and, and you just don't know what the future holds. So uh, for some individuals, it can still make sense to contribute to a Roth, even if your income is relatively high, because perhaps your income could be even higher or perhaps the, the tax brackets could change and tax rates could go up in the future. So those two factors, your income and and what the future taxes are, uh, can make the decision a little bit more difficult. Now, it can be sometimes easy even for people in higher um, tax brackets who maybe have a bad year. Say you own a business, um, your income went down. Uh, that happened to a lot of people during COVID. And uh, because of that reduction in income, um, maybe that, that's a good year for you to consider contributing to a Roth because you're in a slightly lower tax bracket than normal. And then, uh, you know, as your income goes back up again, you switch to an, a tax deferred account. Uh, in the end, there are a group of people who it can be a little bit more of a difficult decision for. And that's like kind of that middle tax bracket where you don't know what the future holds. Are you going to stay where you are versus um, go up in tax bracket in the future? Um, and, and we can talk a little bit more about that later on. But uh, there is a, a strategy that individuals can use if you're, you kind of fall into that middle area. How about the uh, younger younger investor uh, just kind of getting started out? We had mentioned uh, Roth is probably the, the best place to start. 
Uh, but are there cases where the traditional IRA uh, makes more sense for somebody who's just uh, just getting started? Yeah, generally speaking, I think it makes sense to contribute to almost any retirement account just because it's better to save than to not. But, you know, there are people who, even when they're in a lower tax bracket, they don't like the idea of a Roth simply because you don't get a tax deduction for it. And, and tax aversion is a very common thing. A lot of people just don't like the idea of paying any more taxes than they absolutely have to. And the Roth account, unfortunately, doesn't help with that because you don't get a tax deduction for it up front. So for those individuals who are very concerned about maximizing their tax deductions, contributing to a traditional IRA where you do get a, a tax deduction if you meet the requirements can make a lot of sense. Because in the end, what really matters is to save as much as you can as soon as you can. Yeah, good advice. I think your point about getting that upfront deduction, I think that's really appealing. Let's get into some more of the uh, the nuts and bolts here. Uh, how much can someone contribute uh, to an IRA in uh, any any given tax year? So unfortunately, the traditional IRA has one of the lowest contribution limits of all the tax advantaged accounts. Um, this, that limit for the traditional IRA is also the same limit for a Roth account. You can contribute up to $6,000 and if you're over age 50, you can contribute an additional thousand. Now, when it comes to the traditional IRA, uh, just because you can contribute to it doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna get a deduction for it. So you have to meet several requirements before you can actually um, receive a deduction for your contributions to a traditional IRA. Now with a Roth, there, there is no deduction so that it has a whole set of different rules and income limits, but we'll focus right now on the traditional IRA rules. So first of all, if you are not a part of an employer-sponsored plan, so like a 401k, a TSP plan, something like that, um, there is no limit on whether or not you get a deduction for your contributions to an IRA. Now, if you have a spouse who is covered by a employer-sponsored plan, again, like a 401k, there can be potential limits to your deduction for contributions to uh, one of these plans. Now, if, if neither you nor your spouse is a part of one of these plans, then there are no limits. You can definitely get a deduction for your contributions to an IRA. You don't have to worry about it if you, if you have no employer plan, but anybody who is a part of a, an employer plan or has a spouse who is, you should definitely check out those limits and make sure um, before making contributions to an IRA, that you're able to get a deduction for them. And uh, given that the contra contribution limits, as you were just describing, you know, six thousand a year, even with the extra thousand if you're over fifty, uh, that's still a pretty low amount, as you mentioned. So that means that one of these accounts is probably not going to be your only investment account. Is that right? Yeah, for a lot of people, there's a plethora of different retirement accounts that you can contribute to. Um, there's SEPs. There's 401ks, you might work for the government at some point or for a charity and they might have a, a 403b. So there's a there's a variety of accounts that you can contribute to. Uh, hey, now our IRAs have become uh, incredibly popular since they were first introduced, as you mentioned right at the very beginning. Congress was trying to uh, create incentives for people to save more for retirement, and and these accounts certainly have done the uh, done the trick. What what do you think makes them? Why have they been successful? What makes them so special? Well, I think the thing that makes the IRA the most unique is that almost anyone can open one of these accounts. It basically, as long as you have some form of earned income, uh, you can contribute to an IRA and it's, it's extremely easy to open one of these accounts. 
uh, for example, it literally takes a few minutes at Schwab to open one of these accounts. In fact, I actually just uh, opened an additional account for myself just recently, and it was crazy. It was like three clicks and boom, and I had the account opened. Um, the other nice thing about them is, is they're cheap, if not free. So, for example, at Schwab, it was free to open it, and there's no administration fees either. Now, there might be fees for some of the investments that I put in there. So, like, if I have a mutual fund that's got, like, fees, then, you know, there might be fees along those lines. But there's a lot of flexibility when it comes to opening them, how cheap it is, and uh, the investment options. Um, there's a huge number of them. Uh, in fact, probably quite a bit more investment options in an IRA than there are when you're using something like a 401k. Hey, many in investors are getting exposed to saving for retirement for the first time when they first kind of when they first get that first real job and their employer uh, offers them a 401k plan. Um, is it is it going to be better ultimately to save for retirement in a 401k or an IRA? So in general, uh, you know, that I'd say the best option is the one that you can get the most money into. Um 401k basically wins in this respect because as we said before um you know 6000 is the limit for an IRA but the normal limit for a 401k this year is 20500 and if you're over age 50 you can contribute another 6500 in catch up contributions so that's $27000 in total if you're over age 50 so just right there the 401k wins simply for amount you can contribute now, in addition, since a 401k is generally offered by an employer, uh, a lot of employers offer matching contributions, which is basically free money. So they'll have rules that say like, you know, the first, you know, 5% that you contribute will match dollar for dollar or something like that. And that's, it's basically free money that you can get um, on top of the, that uh, 20,500 or, you know, that 27,000 if you're over 50. Of course, um, not everybody works for somebody who offers a 401k. And that's where an IRA steps in to give options to everybody to have a retirement plan, not just those who work for an employer that offers something like that. Uh, we already talked about the uh, the Roth, uh, Roth version of the individual retirement account, uh, but what are some of the other um, uh, types and flavors of these accounts that are out there and what sorts of people are eligible uh, to open these kinds of accounts? So over the years, Congress has created numerous types of IRAs and different types of retirement accounts, just again, trying to encourage people to save. Yeah. Now, we've talked about the traditional IRA and gone over kind of the basics of it. The, the Roth is basically the exact opposite of the traditional IRA. Um, now, they also have simple IRAs. It's a good acronym because it's pretty simple to set up for like a, a small employer. And uh, it has a slightly bigger contribution limit than a uh, traditional IRA and Roth. So you can contribute in 2022 up to $14,000. And if you're over age 50, you can contribute an additional $3,000. So it gives you a total of up to $17,000 if you're over age 50. Another one is a SEP IRA. Now, this one's very interesting, especially for those who are self-employed. It's really interesting if you're self-employed and maybe you're the only employee or you have very few employees because this one has an incredibly high contribution limit. Basically, you can contribute up to $61,000 in 2022, depending on your income level. There are other limitations. So like if you're like self-employed, 
you can't contribute more than 20% of your income up to $61,000. So that's a great option to defer as much as possible into one of these accounts. And now that is that available to everyone? No, it's not going to be available to a lot of people who um, aren't self-employed or don't own uh, a business or something like that. But I mean, there's there's a huge number of options out there, and I encourage everybody to seek out not just the traditional IRA because it's the one most people know about, but to talk to a financial planner and figure out what account type is the best for them. Because there's even something like a solo 401k where you can um, make some pretty hefty contributions to it, and it's pretty affordable to set up. Um, not quite as cheap and as easy as an, a traditional IRA, but it might be worth the cost um, to, to maximize your contributions. Uh, let's assume that you've uh, opened a traditional IRA and life changes, your situation changes, and you decide that a Roth is better for you. Can you convert from one to the other? And what's involved with, uh, what's the de- decision process that would make that a good idea? Oh, you can definitely convert from a traditional IRA to a Roth. But there are a few questions that you need to answer first. And, and the simplest one is, is, do you even have an account that's eligible to be converted to a Roth account? Because not all accounts are rollover eligible. And you'll need to check with your um, plan to see if your account can be rolled over. The second question you need to ask yourself is, where is my tax bracket today compared to what I think my tax bracket is going to be in the future? It's, it's that same question we were asking before as to whether or not should I contribute to a Roth versus a tax deferred account. So if you think you're going to be in a higher tax bracket in the future, then it can make a lot of sense to do a Roth conversion. The third question you have to ask yourself is, how are you going to pay the taxes on this Roth conversion? Because when you do this uh, conversion from one account type to the other, taxes end up being due. Generally speaking, you don't want to pay the taxes from the account that you're converting. You want to pay the taxes from some other account, like from cash in your bank account or from your brokerage account so that you can maximize how much money goes into the Roth. And then finally, when do you need this money is the last question you need to ask yourself because you want to leave that money in the Roth account as long as possible. There are rules about like taking money out after a Roth conversion. It's called the five-year rule, but really you don't want to leave the money just five years before you take it out. You want to leave it there for 10. 15, 20. You want to give that money as long as possible to grow when you do a Roth conversion. So those are a few things to think about when you're thinking about this idea of whether or not you should approach a Roth conversion. And and you should ask these questions before you actually do it. Because once you do a Roth conversion, you can't undo it. That's surprising to a lot of people because in the past, before the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of uh, 2017, you could do Roth conversions and undo them, but that is no longer the case. Once you do one, you're stuck with it. Yeah, I mean, that, that entire process, the way you described it, I mean, it's a, it's a great uh, example of why, you know, consulting with a tax advisor or a financial advisor uh, to help walk through all the different scenarios. And, and as you mentioned, it's an irrevocable decision. So you want to make sure you get it right and getting an extra pair of eyes to look at it makes a, makes a lot of sense. Um, especially for the uh, kind of younger listeners who may just be uh, starting to invest. Um, I mean, these accounts are called individual retirement accounts. So clearly they were designed for uh, retirement. But is that the only goal uh, for which an IRA uh, account makes sense? Not necessarily. I, I think it's definitely the primary goal. It's, it's the main thing that most people will want to think about. But it also could be used as a way for wealth transfer. 
And what I mean by that is, is like, so say you have um, children or grandchildren or heirs that you want to pass your wealth on to. Uh, an IRA can be a very useful tool to transfer a large amount of wealth. Somebody who perhaps wants to give some assets to their children could use that IRA and say like, look, I'm, I don't need that money. Um, so I'm going to set this aside and, and let my heirs have it. The, the downside with that strategy is that um, you do have to take required minimum distributions from uh, tax deferred IRA accounts. So uh, another option for people when it comes to this process is like you talked about the, the Roth conversion. So you could convert those assets from that tax deferred status to the Roth status. Again, you have to pay those taxes. Say you're in your 70s and you, and you think you're going to live into your 90s. And, and it's like, so that's 20 years right there. You, do, you did a Roth conversion. You could pass that Roth account onto your heirs and they could basically get tax-free assets. Now, depending on who the individual is who inherits those assets, they will have to distribute them over, um, generally speaking, it's a 10-year period if it's like your children or something like that. Now, the other thing you can do is um, you can use those funds for like a first-time home purchase or adoption or medical expenses. Now, I, I generally don't recommend that people use that as their first source for paying for like a home purchase or something like that, or any of those like adoptions expenses. Because if you've got the cash in your bank account, that's usually the better money to go after. Because once you pull the money out of those retirement accounts, you generally can't put it back in. Hayden, earlier we talked about uh, what do you do if you, you're you eligible for both a traditional IRA and a, and a 401k plan, for example. You know, you might potentially have multiple accounts. Uh, there are also, as you mentioned, multiple types of IRAs. Uh, let's say um, someone is eligible for multiple types of IRAs. How does that person decide which one is right? Yeah, that can actually be a pretty complex decision. And in fact, people underestimate how important that decision is as to which accounts to contribute to. We already talked about like how you want to contribute as much as you possibly can. So like sometimes the decision can be pretty clear between like, say, a traditional IRA and a 401k. You may want to go after the 401k specifically because you can contribute more to it. But where it gets a little bit more difficult is the decision between should I contribute to a tax deferred account or should I contribute to that Roth account? And we were talking about how the younger people generally it can be a somewhat simple decision for them because they're probably at their lowest earning potential of their entire career. And, you know, hopefully they're going to see their, their wages keep going up and up and up and up until, you know, they reach right before retirement where they're going to be at their peak uh, earning potential. So for the younger in individuals, it tends to make sense to use those Roth accounts. Whereas if you're an, uh, a person who is perhaps at your highest earning potential, which again tends to be when you're in your 50s and 60s, that's where a tax deferred account can make a lot of sense because what generally um, we see happen is that once you're at your highest earning potential, you're probably going to see your tax rate drop maybe one or two tax brackets as you move into retirement. Now, that's assuming all things being equal because, again, you know, Congress can change the tax laws and raise tax rates and all that kind of stuff. Where it gets a bit more complicated is for um, people in those middle tax brackets. So I, I probably fall as a good example here. I'm 45 years old, so I'm you know not quite at my highest earning potential likely. Um, you know, hopefully over my career I, I'll, I'll keep progressing and my income will, will keep increasing, but you don't know for sure. So for me, it could be one of those situations where it's like, 
am I going to be in a higher tax bracket or not in the future? Or am I equal to the tax bracket that I'll be in when I'm in retirement? For someone like me, it can make a lot of sense to divide your contributions because it's kind of almost hedging your bets. You're not sure what the future holds. So contribute to both accounts. And what you can do is split it and say, like, I'm going to contribute to a Roth and to a tax deferred account and split my contributions between the two because I just don't know what the future holds. All right, Hayden, just a couple more questions and I'll let you go. Our, we mentioned a couple of times at least that, you know, really these are meant to be really broad universal accounts that almost everyone is eligible for. Uh, are there any conditions though under which someone would not be eligible to open an IRA account? So the, the first and most important rule is, is that you have to have um, earned income. Uh, but again, for every rule, there's an exception to the rule when it comes to the IRS. And, and so like, say you have a spouse who doesn't have earned income because they're not working. Well, your spouse can even open up a, uh, a traditional IRA and make contributions. Basically, they're going to contribute your earnings the, uh, to the retirement account. So again, that's the big flexibility in traditional IRAs, which, which makes them so popular. And, and believe it or not, even kids can contribute to an IRA. So like if you have a, a, a young child who's got a part-time job or something like that, even they can open a retirement account. You know, again, it teaches on save at a very young age. And, and general rule is, is save as much as you can as soon as you can. That gives them even more time to save if you uh, create a, a situation where like your, your child can open an IRA account. And, and in fact, there's even strategies where you know, you can look at their earned income and, you know, you might have them contribute their earned income to the account that uh, kind of teaches them how to save. And then you could like give them some money as a gift uh, and say, here, you know, use this money to live on, but put up, put that earnings into the retirement account. So that's a strategy that some people use in order to encourage savings at a, a, a younger age. All right, Hayden, uh, last question we've talked about, we've talked about, you got a you know, open these accounts, you've got to put, you know, cash into the accounts, pick the account type. Um, but at that point, you've got to make the decision to decide how to invest that. You don't want to just leave that money uh, in uh, the entirety of that portfolio in uh, in cash, given that for most people, these are, you know, these are long-term investments. We could talk all day about about you know different different investment decisions there. But my question to you is: Are there any restrictions on what sort of investments uh, that someone can hold in their individual retirement account? Oh, there definitely are, and there's some pretty hefty consequences to breaking these rules. Uh, when it comes to prohibited investments, uh, for example, you can't have life insurance. Um, you can't have like items like antiques or any kind of collectibles, like, you know, Beanie Babies, something like that in your, in your retirement account. Uh, you also can't have personal real estate. So you can't go out there and buy a house that you're using as like a vacation home or something like that. Even if you're renting it part of the time, you can't use it. So there are, there are opportunities for having real estate in an IRA, but you have to be really, really careful about that. Uh, it cannot in any way, shape or form be be personal because if you do anything when it comes to prohibited transactions, you could potentially negate the entire retirement account. Uh, and what I mean by that is, is the IRS would say like, hey, on the first day of the year, because you, you, you used a prohibited uh, investment, that entire amount is distributed. And in fact, it can be the entire account can be distributed and you lose your status as having a tax deferred retirement account and you have to recognize all the income in that year. 
And that's not just for specific investments. It's also for specific types of transactions. You can borrow from certain retirement accounts like a 401k, but you can't do that with an IRA. You also can't sell property to your IRA. And again, like anything that's with any kind of personal use items, uh, that could uh, basically wipe out your um, IRA account and force uh, a 100% distribution. Hayden is a director of tax and wealth management at the Schwab Center for Financial Research. Uh, Hayden, thanks for being here. Well, thanks for having me, Mark. The way we do these podcasts is that we usually do the interview first, and then sometime later we record this last part where we wrap it all up. As I was re-listening to the interview with Hayden, this retirement saving process started to remind me of Scrabble. At one level, Scrabble's a simple game. All the players have letters, and each is trying to make words out of those letters, building off words that have already been created by other players and are on the board. Not surprisingly, you need at least a reasonable vocabulary to play Scrabble, just like you need to save a reasonable amount of money to prepare for retirement. But I have an adequate vocabulary, and nevertheless, I've managed to win one game of Scrabble with my wife in 29-plus years of marriage. And I'm not convinced her vocabulary is that much better than mine. I think what's going on is that her tactics are so much better than mine when it comes to exploiting some of the oddities of the Scrabble board. There are all these places where if your word covers certain squares, you get three times the number of points that you would normally earn for that word. There are other squares where whatever letter you put on that square, you earn three times as many points for that letter. For example, using a Q earns you a lot of points. Use a Q on a triple letter square and you earn huge bonus points. She's so much better at taking advantage of these opportunities and it really makes a difference. The same thinking applies to retirement savings, tax planning, and selecting accounts. Saving money and investing prudently is a big part of successful retirement planning, just like knowing a lot of words helps a lot when playing Scrabble. But you shouldn't neglect the details that Hayden covered when you're investing. To invest tax efficiently requires an understanding of different account types and the way different asset sales or distributions are taxed within a taxable brokerage account. But if gaining that understanding sounds like a lot of work and might be contributing to your procrastination with getting started saving for retirement, well, you're in luck because IRAs exist. Hayden gave us a lot of good information on IRAs, which are a great way to start investing for your future in a tax-advantaged way. Provided you meet the eligibility requirements you mentioned, you can start building a retirement portfolio right away. Yes, some thought and work is required. There are various limitations and exceptions in different types of IRAs, but try to think of it as the effort you must make to launch a rocket that will save the Earth from an asteroid strike. You have to buy fuel, hire and pay a team to launch, make sure the computers work and are aiming the rocket in the right directions. All mundane tasks, but the rocket will nudge that asteroid far, far away so it won't clobber our planet. Do the boring small stuff now and you'll stand a better chance of reaping the rewards when you retire. For more information on how to get started with an IRA, visit schwab.com IRA. And there are also informative articles, videos, and podcasts on saving for retirement on Schwab's insights and education site, which you can check out at schwab.com learn. And if you're wondering whether retirement planning is even necessary, given the risks that an asteroid might hit Earth in your lifetime, and we haven't proved out this rocket-nudging technology yet, don't worry. 
NASA says that no known asteroid larger than 140 meters, about the size of a small football stadium, and the kind that could cause a planet-wide catastrophe, has a significant chance to hit Earth in the next 100 years. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, we'd be really grateful if you left us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. And if you know someone who might like the show, please tell them about it and how they can follow us for free in their favorite podcasting app. On the next episode, we'll talk with a Schwab branch manager about what to do if you already have an IRA and you're ready to turn your retirement savings into retirement income. And if you want more of the kinds of insights we bring you on Financial Decoder about how to improve your financial decisions, you can also follow me on Twitter at Mark Reepe, M-A-R-K-R-I-E-P-E. For important disclosures, see the show notes and schwab.com slash financial decoder.